my little fish tie on because Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So it's actually a whole bunch of whales, but fish all the same. (laughs) going to be preaching on evangelism this morning. So please join with me in prayer. Almighty God, we look to You and we ask for Your blessing now to be not only upon the reading, but also the proclamation of Your Word. Build us up in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last year we had this 82-year-old tornado blow through our congregation named Dr. Krabendam. For those of you who met him you know I'm not exaggeration when I, exaggerating when I liken him to a tornado. Uh, he never stops and he is eager to get everybody else moving. And no, you did not mishear me when I said that he is 82 years old. He called me earlier this month. He told me he needed me to go back to Uganda with him. Uh, so I should decide whether I could go in May or in December. I told him Westminster already had two missions trips and uh, this committed for this year so I wouldn't be able to leave the country. So he said that he was holding a school of evangelism in New Jersey uh, in June and that he needed me to help him train a, a group of about 50 college students in how to share their faith. He said that should not be a problem for me since I would not be leaving the country. <laughs> I chuckled to myself several times this week as I studied verses 22 through 24 in preparation for this sermon. The Apostle Paul's temperament comes shining through in this passage. And in my mind's eye, I kept picturing Paul as an 82-year-old Dutchman. (laughs) I think that the Apostle Paul was a lot like Dr. Krabendammer. I guess it would be more accurate to say that Dr. Krabendam is a lot like the Apostle Paul. Both men are always on the go. So look with me at verse 22. He says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered in coming to you. See, Paul's not just looking forward to coming to Rome, but in his mind he has been hindered. He feels as if he is straining against God's providence. Paul had long ago determined that the church in Rome was a vital congregation in his strategy to spread the gospel to the whole rest of the world. Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. People from all over the world traveled to Rome. So maybe the church in that city could evangelize the people coming into Rome and then they would take the gospel back to them, to their nations and to their villages and to their towns and cities. Rome was also the seat of power in the ancient world. And if the church in Rome could influence the capital of the Roman Empire for Christ, it could only multiply Christianity's reach throughout the world. Such was Paul's desire to go to Rome that when he was thrown into prison in Jerusalem, he was tempted to become terribly discouraged. But Jesus appeared to him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me here in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. I think it is a healthy attitude 
or a healthy temperament to be impatient about God's work going forward. There is such a thing as a holy dissatisfaction. I want you to look back uh, to verse 13. This goes back a couple of weeks ago um, in our uh, in our preaching. Verse 13 in Romans 15, Paul says, or he he prays, "May the God of hope." fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul prays this for the believers. In other words, if you do not have the promised joy and peace in believing, or if you are not abounding in hope, then you should be dissatisfied. You should pull against the forces that are hindering you from experiencing all that God has promised for you. You should strain forward through or over or around all obstacles that stand between you and everything that God has promised to you. Or listen to the psalmist in Psalm 80. The psalmist is very unhappy with the state of the nation of Israel. And more so, he's discontent that God has withdrawn His presence from them. And so in Psalm 80, uh, the psalmist writes, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let Your face shine that we may be saved. Can you hear the discontent in that prayer? The Scriptures are replete with examples of dissatisfied saints who are straining against circumstances, straining against unbelievers, or even straining against their own frailties and their besetting sins. Are there areas of holy dissatisfaction in your own life? And if not, why not? Have you... Have you in your mind arrived where God wants you to be? Has your life reached a level of sanctification such that you no longer need to engage in the war within your soul to repent of your sins? I hope every one of us are all experiencing an intolerable dissatisfaction with areas of our life. An intolerable dissatisfaction that causes us to flee continually to God for more and more of His refreshing and sanctifying grace. And if you have this holy dissatisfaction with your spiritual walk in Christ, I need to ask you, what are you doing about this dissatisfaction? Are are you content with your discontent? Are you satisfied in your dissatisfaction? I don't read the Bible enough because I don't understand it. Since I don't understand it, I'll be content with not reading it. Or I'm not doing anything toward my growth in Christ and I'm too busy to take time out of my busy schedule to attend a meeting that will encourage me uh, to grow in Christ. And so, you're content to continue not 
growing in Christ. Or I don't give faithfully to the church and my budget is too tight to begin giving. Well, if that's your attitude, then you've become satisfied in your dissatisfaction. That's a dangerous place to be. That's an unhealthy place to be. And your dissatisfaction cannot be simply limited to your own areas of deficiency. You live in a world that is broken, where people are living their lives underneath the wrath of God Almighty, where hell is a reality and the vast multitude of the population of the earth is staggering toward that destination. Can any of us ever, for one moment, be satisfied with ignoring these horrifying truths? This is what Paul or this is what was rousing Paul's holy dissatisfaction. That's why he was only planning to pass through Rome. He was headed to Spain because the gospel had not yet been proclaimed uh, in that nation. So look at verse 20. In verse 20, he says, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Paul had planted churches on the island of Cyprus. He had planted churches in all the major cities of southern Asia Minor. Paul had planted churches in all the major cities of Greece. That's what's meant by Macedonia and Achaia uh, when you read the book of Acts. And any one of these churches would have been overwhelmed with delight to have him return to them and serve as their senior pastor. He could have lived his later years in the pampered comfort of a loving congregation. And yes, that's how I feel. The pampered comfort of a loving congregation. But instead, he subjected himself to the dangers, discomforts, and distresses of a life on the move for the spread of the gospel to new nations and to new cities. At the time that Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, he was about 50 years old. He was 50 years old where the life expectancy was less than 70 years old. So this was well before the the phrase 70 is the new 50s had been coined. Paul never considered retirement. His holy dissatisfaction would not let him slow down or let up. So I have to ask you, are you satisfied in living your life in relative detachment from the horrifying plight of the world? You know, I could see how Paul might have decided, rather than settling down, to become a circuit preacher and travel around to all the churches that he had planted. That would have been a very useful way of spending his later years in life. And that was quite a circuit. Uh, We saw last week he went from Jerusalem to Illyricum, a 1,400-mile stretch where he had planted churches. And he could have spent his latter years going around to those churches, encouraging them and pastoring them. But he was even unwilling to do that. 
Look at the first part of verse 23. He says, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... Does that strike you as an odd statement? Paul's saying he has no longer any room to preach the gospel in the regions outside of Spain. (laughs) In his mind, there was not even any room for him to minister in Rome because the church was already there. Clearly, there were hundreds of towns and villages Um, and thousands upon thousands of people who had not been exposed to the Christian message on the island of Cyprus, or in southern Asia Minor, or in uh, the nations of Macedonia and Achaia, or Greece, where Paul had previously preached the gospel and established churches. Everywhere he'd gone and preached and established churches, there were plenty of lost people that needed needed to be gathered in. But yet, he is saying here in verse 23, he no longer has any room left to preach in those areas. Paul's goal was not to try and win more and more people to Christ. And you might uh, think that that is a surprising statement. Rather, his expressly stated goal was to reach more and more groups of people, more and more nations where Christ had had not yet been proclaimed. What he wanted to do is he wanted to plant worshiping communities of Christians in each one of the larger cities uh, in the region because he expected then the local congregation to aggressively reach out to the surrounding community and region. And that is still our essential calling as a local congregation. As a local congregation, we are to be a safe home for our church family. We are to gather together. We are to build each other up. We are to be equipped with the Gospel. While at the same time, being an effective mission going out to our community, out to our surrounding region. In this regard, I have some breaking news. Our session has at our last session meeting determined to plant a church in inner city Tampa, specifically in the College Hill area. You've heard of College Hill um, many times because Jimbo goes there every week among the other places that he goes. Jimbo has become so well known in that area that gang members have approached him and asked him to pray uh, for them. One gang member even jumped in the van with Jimbo and uh, asked for prayer. And then just recently, uh, Jimbo witnessed to a lady uh, who, unbeknownst to him, he had uh, previously um, uh, witnessed to. And the gospel, that first time that he had witnessed to her, had so impacted her that she took the Bible verse that Jimbo had quoted as he was uh, proclaiming the gospel to her, and she she uh, went and and tattooed that Bible verse on her on her shoulder. And so when Jimbo saw her the second time and didn't realize that he had evangelized her previously, she said, "I remember you." And she pulled up her shirt to show him the Bible verse. <laughs> 
Um, there's so there's a work going on over there. There's other works for the gospel going on in that community. There's a there's a synergy going on there. And um, as uh, the writer Blackaby uh, says, we should we should join God where He's at work. There's a lot of details that um, that we could talk about with this church plant. Feel free to ask Jimbo or myself about some of these plans or ask the session. I will say Jimbo and his family will not, I repeat, not be leaving our congregation. We cherish him too much to let he and his family go. But I mention this church plant that we have discussed as a session because it's an application how we as a congregation can develop the same temperament as the Apostle Paul. He was always on the go for the gospel. If we are going to be faithful to God in discharging our calling, we must also always be on the go for the gospel. I found this quote from Dr. Krabendam in some of my old notes from him. He said, and I picked up in the middle of a sentence, he said, move as far and as fast and as furious as you can go uh, with your God-given diameter, length, location, direction, function, outcome, material, and use in all conditions, circumstances, and situations to sanctify His name, to advance His kingdom, and do His will. I don't know exactly what he means by a diameter and length and location, but I think the idea is he's not going to leave anything out that we as Christians need to be going in every possible way that we can be going as fast and as far and as furiously as God by His grace will allow us to go. This kind of attitude is going to put a person or a congregation in the crosshairs of the gospel. I'm sorry, in the crosshairs from from unbelievers and from the kingdom of darkness. As far as Paul's desire, or as great as Paul's desires were for the gospel to go out and for him to be a messenger of the gospel, he knew that he was not on the up to the task on his own. So what he did uh, was he entrusted himself to the saints in Rome and begged for their prayers. Look at verse 30. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. This word appeal that he he uses here in verse 30 is the word parakaleo. It's a compound word. Uh, Kaleo, to call. And, and this idea of being a compound means to call out with some urgency. And so you can see his urgency as he begs the Christians in Rome to pray for him. He begs them by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. In other words, he is, he is uh, urging and begging with all his heart Pray for me, brothers. He's desperate for their prayers. And he did not want them to just mention them in their congregational prayers. Lord, bless our 
Apostle, our brother Apostle Paul as he travels around the world preaching your word, amen. That's not what he was looking for. He wanted them to strive for him in prayer. Look at the word strive here in verse 30. I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The word strive. Soon agonistatai. Can you hear the word agonize in the middle of that Greek word? In other places, this word is translated to fight. Paul is imploring the Christians in Rome to fight, to wrestle, to strive for him in prayer. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you strive and fight and wrestle in prayer for me. I know Jimbo wants you to strive and wrestle and fight for Him in prayer. I know our missionaries want you to strive and fight and wrestle for them in your prayers to God in their behalf. I know our parents want you to fight and wrestle and strive for them in your prayers to God in their family's behalf. Do you know what Paul means by striving in prayer? Jesus told a parable in Luke 18. In Luke 18, and he, he told his disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and never lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? No, I tell you, He will give them justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? There's an unrelenting urgency that is bound up with striving in prayer. When you're striving in prayer, you find that prayer is like what John Piper calls a walkie-talkie for warfare rather than a domestic intercom for our conveniences. To conclude... Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is assured of victory. Christ is the victorious King over all the universe. There is nothing under all creation that will stop Him. Christ died on the cross. Christ rose from the grave. Christ descended into heaven. He purchased people uh, in His for Him. Uh, from every tribe, uh, tongue, 
uh, people and nation. He will bring to completion the good work that He has begun in you. You are more than conquerors through Him who loved you. So then I ask, with a note of exhortation, is there any one of you among us who is going to rest on your laurels, sit on your rears, and be satisfied in your dissatisfaction? Or are you going to run as far and as fast and as furiously as you can go by God's grace? Let's pray together. Father, help us to run far, fast, and furiously by Your grace for the glory of, the, of Your grace as it is proclaimed by Your, um, by your weak servants. Lord, fill us continually with Your Spirit. And Lord, we know how weak we are Make us a praying church, a striving church, a gospel-oriented church for Your glory and Your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.